convince me that I should do that. So no problem. I didn't mind doing that. But anyway, I went from there to uh, they had a job. They had a job opening for somebody to put up the ring and take the ring down. And uh, the promoter at the time was Louise Manning. And uh, so one day we had a show and we took the ring to the Cobb Civic Center in Marietta, Georgia. And when I got the ring up and say maybe about 30 minutes before uh, bell time, you know, Louise Manning came to me and said, we don't have a referee. We, the referee's not going to be here tonight. And she asked me, could I referee? And I looked at her and I said, no, I never refereed a day in my life. She said, no problem. Don't worry. You know, we'll, I'm going to send out, get you a shirt. You just get in there. The guys will take care of you. So uh, I got in. My first match was with Ron Bass and Black Bart. It was a Texas death match. They're bleeding all over the place. Scared me to death because I've never been in that kind of environment. Man, I had no idea what to do. But anyway, I got through that, and uh, that way, that's how I started refereeing. That's how I got the job as a referee. So I was continuing to be the referee and plus put up the ring, too. So, And I started getting paid. They, they put me on the payroll. After then, I started refereeing for a while, and then I started, uh, I met uh, uh, Kevin Sullivan and uh, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, God rest his soul. And I became friends with these two guys, and I started riding with them. And uh, what they found out after we started riding together is that when I was a kid, I was a disc jockey on a radio station. And uh, so we'd, uh, you know, be riding down the road going to the next town, and so I turned the radio down and started DJing for them. And then they were looking at me in the sense that, hey, wow, this guy can talk. I have no idea. I'm just running off at the mouth, just letting them know I could DJ. But they were looking at the business side of it, so I didn't have a clue about that. So that's how I started managing. These guys, you know, told me, said, wow, you can talk. And so they went back and they took the idea to uh, Jim Ross, and uh, I think he was part of the booking committee there at that time. And uh, they finally come back and uh, they wanted to do it. So that's how I got started managing. And then uh, the way that they turned me on that is... Um, I fast-counted the Road Warriors and the Varsity Club in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. I think I got a pay-per-view, and uh, they became the the, the the Boston Club became the new champion, so I did the fast-count. So then that's where my heat started. People wanted to get rid of me as a referee. So then the next thing I did on uh, TBS TV is there was a match with uh, JYD, the Junkyard Dog, God rest his soul, too, and Ron Simmons. And so I did the fast-count on... JYD, one, two, three, and Ron Simmons, you know, won the match. And then uh, they had this man, Jim Hurd, to come out who was in charge of World Championship Wrestling at the time, come out and fire me on TV. And uh, then I stayed away about a month, and about a month I came back with a suit on and I started managing. Well, the way I started is I started at a pay-per-view in Nashville, Tennessee, and I walked out with a pad and pen like I was scouting guys, and I did that for a couple of weeks, and then finally they put me with somebody, and I believe the first guy that I had was uh, Norman the Lunatic, and uh, I had him for a long time, and then they moved me with uh, the skyscrapers. That was Sid Vicious and Danny Spivey, which were really a, you know outstanding, great team, great great guys to work with. And then I went from there to uh, <clears throat> Mark Merrow, I believe, uh, was Johnny B. Bad. I started managing him. And by the way, a lot of people don't know I was the one that gave him the name Johnny B. Bad because uh, we, 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 at this time, uh, Dusty Rhodes, God rest his soul. And let me say this about Dusty. I love him. He gave me my first job. That referee position, Dusty was in charge, and Dusty hired me. So 
I love him for that, and God rest his soul. But anyway, Dusty wanted to call Mark Merrow uh, Tutti Fruity <laughs> because of the way he looked. He looked so much like uh, Little Richard. And so Mark came to me, and he says, Teddy, he says, can you please talk to him about another name? He said, they want to call me Tutti Fruity. He said, I got it. I said, well, kind of, we got to, you know, if that's what they want, that's what we got to do. But I kind of came up with something about all the fly girls will be glad and all the fly guys will be mad. Get ready for Johnny B. Bad. And I went back and gave Randy by Dust, and he liked it. And so that's how we got the name Johnny B. Bad. And then I had some other guys. I had Ice Train and Scott Norton. They were fire and ice. I managed those guys for a little while. I had another gentleman by the name of Sergeant Craig Pittman. Uh, had him for a while. Uh, Joey Maggs, I believe uh, he's uh, passed on now. God rest his soul. Had him for a little bit. And uh, Jim Powers. I'm pretty sure a lot of people may not remember some of these guys, but I managed him, Jim Powers. And uh, then I moved on down the line from the skyscrapers on t- to uh, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, who were uh, doomed. And uh, I started managing those guys, and, man, we started having a ball. And after then, for a while, we became the first Afro-American Tag Team Champions. And uh, we went on, and we had a lot of great success. And so, uh, that you know, that's, that's kind of the way it happened for me. Well, let me ask you this question, um, because I did not know this until the other day. You actually managed the one-man gang. A while. Well, yeah, uh, I was involved in an, in an angle with Kevin Sullivan and those guys, and so the one-man gang was part of the stable, and so I had to go out and manage him for a couple of times, you know, but uh, he was such a great guy to work with, man, golly, and he's still around, so if he's listening or he can hear this, uh, I love you, my man, and I miss you, because the last time I saw him, we was on this show with this guy that didn't pay our money, you know, the guy that had us on the show and ran out, didn't pay anybody, and Joy, you know, gang was there, and he drove 10 hours all the way from Louisiana, you know, and then they were having a big storm there, and then he called home, find out his house is underwater, and now the guy's got to go back with no money. It's a shame, man. That, that was just that's horrible. So, But, you know, God, uh, you know, made a way for him, so I think everything's back rolling for him. Let me ask you this question, too, Teddy, because you mentioned a little while ago about Mark Merrill becoming Johnny B. Bad in WCW now. Um, it being the, the Southern, you know, WCW wrestling company, right? What was the uh, feeling about the gimmick, Johnny B. Bad? Because on the WWE Network, right, he wrestles um, Brian Pillman when Brian Pillman was uh, Yellow Dog. And uh, I guess Pillman said something about, uh, he, he says uh, Johnny B. Gay, which WWE, they removed that part. But um, what, what was the feeling like with, with, with that gimmick? Well, the feeling was good because I was with, uh, like I said, Dusty was the booker at that time. And me and Dusty had us to go and have a meeting with uh, Ted Turner and some Turner people. And what he was doing, he was presenting new characters to the Turner people, new, you know, new characters that we're going to start putting on TV and, 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 and uh, pushing. And so I went up there with it me and, and, and uh, Mark. We were there with that meeting. And so the Turner people liked that gimmick. And also one day Jane Fonda, she loved it. She was at uh, center stage one time. We were taping it. And, man, she loved it. So, that, that you know, for as, I, for as I know, there was no heat about, about him, about that gimmick at all. I think everybody loved it. Now, were you in WCW at the time when they put the belt on Ron Simmons? Yes, I was. I was going to actually ask you if you could uh, take us through what that experience was like because it was such an historic moment where Ron Simmons became the first African-American world heavyweight champion. And I was wondering if you could just, again, take us through 
uh, what it was like, how was people's reactions from the fans, the people backstage to officials, and your reaction as well. Like, do you think Ron was the right guy for that role, or do you think somebody else should have been in that role? Well, no, I think Ron was the right guy. You know what I mean? Ron had paid his dues. Uh, believe me, you know, I was right there when Ron first came into uh, the NWA, when Ron came in, came up from Florida. Uh, I was right there with him, so, you know, Ron is a, is a fantastic guy, a great guy to work with, not great attitude and everything, so, but getting back to your your question, everybody was happy, you know what I mean, because that was a first, you know, as far as they was concerned, but I, I mean, the, the going back in time, I think Rocky Johnson might have been the first guy, I, I'm not sure, but I, I think the belt was on somebody, but anyway, it was a first, and everybody was excited, I was happy for him, you know, glad to see, you know, you know, it made it, he had made it there, and you know, and 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 was real successful. So that was that was great. You know, everybody was excited. And everybody was happy about that. Now during this time too, Teddy, um, it's it's been well documented that um, there were certain racial issues going on down at WCW uh, for for many many years. Um, was there any outside influence as to why they put the belt on Ron Simmons as as it relates? Because I remember when we did a podcast with you before. You mentioned that the uh, NAACP had uh, been picketing at, at uh, Turner for the fact that there were no black champions. So was that the same situation with Ron Simmons when he became the first black world champion? Uh, no, I don't think so. The situation that I was talking about at that particular time that they, you know, there were no black tag team champions is what they what they were saying. They never stressed it that it was no black world champion or no black champions or nothing. So we were already, you know, had, you know, been a tag team champions, you know what I mean, before that even happened. So I think that that was something that Bill Watts wanted to do because Bill Watts, you know, he liked run and Bill Watts thought, I, I mean, I think I was right there and I heard him say, you know, he thought he couldn't understand, you know, why there had not been a black champion. And that was one of Bill Watts' deals. And so, and Bill wanted to do that himself. So I don't think it had nothing to do with no racial lines and nothing being racial. It was something Bill Watts wanted to do and he thought it would, would work. Let me ask you this question as, as well, because, um, you know, like I said before, you, you've been a part of the GRP family, but we, we've never really, you know, delved into it this far. Um, how was the transition from um, Jim Crockett Promotions to Ted Turner? buying the territory and renaming it World Championship Wrestling. How did, how did everybody feel about that? Well, I think everybody felt great about it because, you know, that way, you know, with Turner Broadcasting now, you know, especially the money is going to go up, you know what I mean? So guys knew that they were going to get, you know, get paid a lot more money than they were getting paid working with Jim Crockett. And plus, you know, you know now you're going to be under a contract, you know what I mean? So you're going to basically get guaranteed money. So I think it was a great move, you know. The the, the product had a chance now to get on uh, cable TV and to really get out there where guys can get known, you know what I mean? And so I think everybody was happy for that transition because, I mean, it, it was a, a, a move for the better. Teddy, as you mentioned earlier, um, you've managed, you managed some guys at WCW such as Joey Maggs, uh, Craig Pittman, and uh, Jim Powers. And, of course, these are names that are not exactly known for the work on the microphone where you are. So, obviously, the hope was to for you to help them get over. Um, were, they, were these individuals receptive of any advice that you may have offered as far as how to get their character over more so people would pop and respond? Well, yeah. I, I, you know, everybody that I had the opportunity to manage, you know, I was able to, you know, we had great chemistry together. I was able to get along with them. 
They was always, you know, willing to come to me and talk to me about what we should do about this. And I was always willing to go to them and say, hey, I think this is what we need to try to work on tonight. Not that I knew a whole lot, but I knew a little bit more than them because I had been around and I learned early in this business, you know, you keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open, you'll learn a lot of stuff. So I learned that. So, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, and I can give you a little story here, you know, with Joey Max. And uh, we had a match one time at center stage, and uh, Joey Max, you know, he lost that match. And Joey said, oh, my God. And I just thought about it. I said, and I spoke to him, and I said, watch this, Joey. I said, watch me get you over right now. And I said, I want you to come up slow, and once you come up, I'm going to raise your hand. He says, no, 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 I just got beat. I said, just do what I tell you. So when he came up, you know what I mean, I patted him on the back and I looked at him and I said, now, you know, I said, we're going to get this what we call sympathy. I said, now, I'm going to wait a minute. And I said, you come up and I'm going to raise your hand. And when I threw his hand up, the whole crowd just popped. You know what I mean? And it took him it, it, it took him for a loop because he didn't believe that. I said, it's, it's the way you do this. You know, I said, it's real. The people knew that you tried but you lost. That's just like playing a sport. You try hard, you may get all the way down, and you may lose by one point. Well, they're not as mad at you if you lose by one point as we had a loss by 50 points. So they ain't mad at you, Joey. They knew you tried. They knew you just had a bad day. Raise your hand. They'll show you they still care. And that's, a, and, that, <laughs> and that's how I got Joey over one day on TV. And and from then on, you know, I had, you know he would always listen to me, but... You know, my thing is is like this, man. You know, that's the way my my character got over on TV. I'm not a character. I'm Teddy Long. And the way that I'm talking to you now is the way that I talk on TV player and the way that I handle all my stuff. So I'm just real, and I think that's what works. you got to be real. If you're not real, people can see through you. Very, very true. And let me ask you this question as it relates to your your managerial uh, duties at WCW. Um, Why do you feel that you were kind of push to the back there. I mean, you managed the skyscrapers. Um, you managed Doom. You managed Ryan Simmons when he was the, the world champion. But, you know, when when Bischoff got into power there at WCW, you kind of got pushed to the back. I mean, you were managing people, as you mentioned, you know, Jim Powers, uh, you know, Joey Joey Maggs. You were managing um, uh, Craig Pittman, um, Fire and Ice. Um, you know, you had managed Tuco, Scorpio, and, and, and uh, Marcus Bagwell. But why were you pushing the back for other people like uh, Colonel... Parker and and you know Sister Sherry. Well, well, you know, I you know I look at that like this, you know, and this would be my answer to it. You know, I was a guy that came up in the business, you know, from putting up the ring, refereeing, and all of a sudden, boom, here I am in the spotlight. And you know, in this business here, you know, back in the day, you know, it was like, you know, if you ain't paying no dues, you know, you ain't you ain't getting nowhere, or you ain't going nowhere. And so, in a lot of people's eyesight, is I hadn't paid any dues. Okay, so we, you know, you, what, what, how you gonna get this guy out of here like this? You know, he, he just put, he put up the ring, referee. You know what I mean? So that's how a lot of people looked at it. So I don't think that I was just put to the back. I think I was given a lot of guys that they probably knew that wasn't gonna last anyway. I mean, Joy Mag, you know, God rest is so great wrestler, but you know what I mean? They just didn't have nothing for him. They never used him right. Uh, they did a little bit something with Craig Pittman, then all of a sudden, you know, they cut him off. So I got nothing to work with. So if I got nothing to work with, then I got nothing to do. So I just didn't never, you know, until I think maybe after I butch and run, you know, when I got the right team and they saw, 
you know, that these guys can, that all three of us, can, we can make money, then I think that's when things start rolling a little bit. But during those years when I had those guys like, you know, Jim Powell and all of those guys, just what they didn't have no plans for them anyway. Teddy, I was going to ask you if uh, you'd be able to kind of give us um, your thoughts on what you saw, the, the big differences um, when you were working for WCW when it was uh, Jim Crockett Promotions like in 85, 86, 87, and then around 96 where things are really taking off with the NWO angle and Eric Bischoff in charge. Well, uh, you know, I, that that was great for them at that particular time. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, a lot of all, a lot of the guys came down from the WWF at that particular time, and they came in at WCW, you know, and started NWO. Well, you know, people flock to money, you know, and and money is the root of all evil. Believe that. So here's some guys that now, you know, they got a big company down here. They got a lot of money coming in, you know, that that Ted Turner's giving them, you know, to try to get this company off the ground. And so guys were coming in to make more money, and that's kind of what it is, you know, in life. You know, sometimes, you know, everybody has a price, and you can get somebody to leave you if you if you got the right price. It's just that, you know, that's just how it is. So I think that guys came in, got a lot of money, you know what I mean, and they had a chance to, you know, use Turner's TV there nationwide. They got over, and NWO, that worked. But I think what happened, they got greedy. So sometimes when you get greedy, that's where you kind of make your mistakes. Another question I wanted to ask you too, Teddy, as you mentioned that you rode uh, with Eddie Gilbert and Kevin Sullivan, and Eddie Gilbert is known as one of the, or has a reputation as being one of the best minds in the business. And I was wondering, what are some of the things um, that you learned from him while riding with him? Uh, well, some of the things I learned from him is how, is, when I say real, is how, is, and what we call it in our business is selling. You know, when somebody do something to you, you know, like like they did something to you. You know what I mean? Because it's an old saying in our business, you know, you they don't know how, how how hard you hit, man. They don't know, you know, they can't feel what we do. So you, you that, that, it's just that simple. But like I said, I learned from Eddie Gilbert and Kevin about putting stuff together, about storylines, and you know, and and about you know involving storylines into real life. You know, make that part of real life because that some storyline that happens in everyday real life. So I learned a lot from them as far as being real and going out there, you know, making the people believe, believe in what I'm doing. And when you learn how to do that, then you ain't got to worry. You got, you'll have your job for a long time. You, you were there from, you know, Jim Crockett Jr. to Jim Hurd, Kip Fry, a bunch of other people came in there, uh, Bill Watts, Bischoff. Um, out of all of these guys that, that were you know, put in, in charge there at, at WCW, who do you think was the best one for the job? I mean, we people can argue to say that Bill Watts did a lot of good, but then Bill Watts did a lot of bad. He took a lot of, uh, you know, the, the, the rematch away, and people say, well, Bischoff did good, but then Bischoff spent too much money. What's your take on all that? Well, I think Bischoff was the best guy for the job, okay? I really do. And and Eric was, a, you know, was a great guy. But I think what happens sometimes, you know, a lot of people get in people's ear. And I think uh, some of the wrong people got into Eric's ear. You know what I mean? Because I, I was with Eric before Eric ever got that position. Me and Eric used to do uh, color commentary on Worldwide for the international market. So I was his broadcast partner. Uh, Eric and I, you know, we we even spent time together after work. We went and drank and had margaritas together. You know what I mean? So I kind of knew Eric a little bit. We hung out a little bit. But, you know, after, you know, he got in that position, you know, sometimes, you know, power changes people. 
So, you know, and I, and I think that's what kind of happened to him. But, you know, I had a chance to talk to him, you know, after he left, you know, WCW, and he came over to Vince for a while, and he was there, you know, and, uh, he, you know, he just said something to me. He said, you know, if I could do it all over again with you, he said, I'd do, I'd, I'd do a lot better. I'd do it different. I would do it better. And he just kind of apologized, like, to me, you know. And that's just kind of me and his own little deal, you know. But anyway, I think Eric was the best guy. Just people just got to him, and sometimes, you know, you can get brainwashed. Very true, the, the, the massive egos of, of the business. And it's a perfect segue because you eventually left the WCW and went to the WWF. You started out there as referee until 2002 when you were given a job as a manager for, for D'Lo Brown. Why don't you, you know, talk us through how that came about? Well, I... uh was refereeing, like you said, when I first went there in 1998, so I refereed for a while, and then uh, I came, they took me off the road, and they brought me home, and, uh, you know, they were going to bring me back, they didn't know what they wanted to do with me, and, you know, I remember Jack Lanza was telling me that, that Vince hadn't, didn't know what he wanted to do, and uh, so I was just at home one day, and all of a sudden, uh, I got a phone call, and uh, the phone call was from the office, it was John Laurinaitis, he called me, and he said, uh, we need to bring you, Vince wants you to come to TV right now. And that was in Providence, Rhode Island, you know. And, so, and they never did tell me what it was. They just, they just told me go get on the plane and come to TV. So uh, I caught the plane, and I got to Boston, and they uh, had a car pick me up in Boston and took me to Providence, and I went in, and they told me that I was going to start managing. And uh, the first guy I had was D'Lo Brown, like you say, and I walked out with him and uh, and got great reaction. And then when I come back and uh, Vince, you know, kind of shook my hand and he said to me, he said, golly, I said, I've been, I, I couldn't believe I had you here right under my nose all this time. And uh, that was that. And uh, from then on, man, I just, you know, start, you know, just start doing what I do. I just start managing and I, uh, Vince would come to me sometime and he would say, what are you saying out there tonight? And uh, I would tell him, you know, go, go over whatever I was, you know, whatever I had to say. And he was like, all right, all right, go get him, you know, and stuff. And so I was able to get along with him because, I, 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 you know, he believed that I understood this. Here's a man now, and I've been around long enough to realize this. Here's a man that believes in me. So here's a man that's willing to give me the chance of a lifetime, the opportunity that I never had. And I saw that. And I said, I'm going to make this work. This man gave me, this man's given me this opportunity. I'm going to make him happy and I'm going to make it work and I'm going to show him how much I appreciate him giving it to me. And that's why I went out on that TV every night and I gave him 100% of whatever I, I was told to do. I, I never griped about nothing. Whatever I was asked to do, no problem. You got it. Because I, you know, that was my appreciation to him. Staying with uh, when you debuted as a manager in WWE, I was actually at that show, Teddy, when you first came out and cut the promo before you introduced D'Lo Brown. And I remember I was with a bunch of my friends who were wrestling fans but didn't watch WCW or ECW. And when you first came out in that suit and the microphone and you're about to talk, all my other friends who weren't familiar with you before were like, what the heck? Why does the referee have a microphone? And I looked at all of them and I said, just watch because I knew you could rock the mic from your days at WCW and I gotta tell you when you cut that promo and introduced D'Lo Brown and the match and everything else after that all of my friends mouths completely hit the floor they all were just like they didn't remember the match all they were shocked it's like oh my goodness that guy is amazing Teddy Long is amazing and I was wondering if like was that if you had any of that backstage and if you did was it personally satisfying to know that 
you showed people up or proved to people, hey, like, I got the skills and I, I could talk on the microphone. I kept all that to myself because you know why? You learn in this business. You don't boast. You don't go around bragging about how good you are and how, dis- how great. Did you hear how good I was out there on that? You don't do that, okay? They'll let you know if you're bad. So if, if somebody don't come to me and tell me what I just did was the shits, then I don't worry about it. I leave it alone. I ain't running up to Vince. Hey, hey, Vince, was that okay? How you like that? I ain't that guy. Because Vince will let you know if it's bad, he'll call you. If he doesn't stop you, you're good. So what happened with that, though, uh, Teddy? You were managing D'Lo Brown. You were, you know, it was down with the Brown, and all of a sudden, um, you, you turn on D'Lo. You, you start managing Rodney Mack. I mean, what happened with that? What happened with D'Lo? Well, I think with D'Lo, I think that that particular time his contract was coming up or something, and then he asked for more money, and so uh, they didn't want to give him any more money. So that's you know, so he decided, I guess he was going to go on to you know do you know other things. So that's what happened with him. That's how he got out of the picture. I think I had D-Lo, I had Rodney Mac turn on him and beat him up, and we put him in the trunk of a car. Right, and then after that, you started managing Rodney Mac. You started managing uh, Jazz. Eventually, Mark Henry. Uh, Christopher Nowinski, you had a whole stable there. I think it was uh, Thugging and Bugging Enterprises, is what you were calling it. And, right. Um, was there, I mean, was there okay. any plans for the for, for you guys to ever get the tie team championships or anything like that? Because it was a, that was a hell of a stable. Yeah. Well, no, they never talked to us about about getting the tag team champ about the belt or anything. The only thing they did do was uh, we we uh, put the ladies belt on the women's title on Jazz. And I was involved in that. I think she worked with Trish Stratus that night, and I took off my shoe and threw it in and hit Trish with it, and then that's how Jazz won the title. But as uh, far as them talking to us about tag team belts and stuff, no, I don't remember them talking about us anything like that. I think, you know, they were just kind of just enjoying the gimmick, you know, especially when I had the white boy challenge, you know, and I uh, did right. find that was all Vince's idea. And uh, we had Mr. K- the guy that calls himself Mr. Kennedy now. You know, he was one of the guys that was involved in the whiteboard challenge right. before he became Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, uh, what was it, Ken Anderson? Yes. Now, I also know that for a little bit on SmackDown, you managed uh, Mark Jindrak. Um, I don't know if that lasted too long, but were there any plans when they first paid you together that they told you about, or was it just kind of a thing where they just wanted to pay you guys together to see what would happen? Well, I think they just put us together to see what would happen. You know what I mean? I There was somewhere, you know, somebody that was just not happy with Gentrek for some reason. I don't know why. You know, I really don't know why. But they they gave us a chance, and I think, you know, he kind of saw the writing on the wall, and he basically, you know, I think he got a deal in Mexico, and I believe that's where he is now. And he went there, and he, he made a big name for himself. He's a big star over there. He's big as Rey Mysterio there. Yeah, it seemed like he definitely had some heat because he was originally going to be an evolution and a couple of years ago, instead of Randy Orton, a couple of years ago, well, I think Randy Orton, and they even, WWE leaked the um, the Titantron video where it was Triple H, Flair, Orton, and Jindrak all walking in the airport and going to the nightclubs and everything. So it seemed like they had big plans for him and something happened along the way. Yeah. Well, at that, you know, at that particular time, you know, you don't really know what's going on, you know, because you can be told one thing today and tomorrow is something else, so <laughs> you just don't ever know. Well, when were you notified, Teddy, that you were going to be um, pretty much upgrading yourself a little bit? You were going to become the SmackDown general manager. How did that come about? 
Uh, I was never notified about anything. I came into TV that day, and uh, the writers came to me, and they told me that, uh, well, they didn't tell me right away, because I don't think, you know, Vince wanted it to get out or whatever. So uh, basically about uh, maybe 30 minutes before showtime, they came and told me that uh, tonight Vince is going to make you general manager of SmackDown. Yeah, you came out there, um, I, I believe Kurt Angle was the general manager before you, and uh, you came out there, took control, I remember it was a, a, a deal with the U.S. side of you had Booker T out there, John Cena, um, a bunch of a bunch of different dudes, but uh, you you took the power there, and you were general manager there for, you know, a, you know, for a few years, you were the longest reigning general manager in SmackDown history, and then, for some reason, you got moved over to the ECW brand, why is that? Well, I don't. I I was never told why. I think uh, they wanted somebody to try to, you know, help that show. So I think that's why they, you know, put me over to ECW. And then they had Estradas over there, and I think he was there first. And I remember Vince, you know, came to me and told me, he said, "Hey, I got to get you back on that show." He pulled me off to the side and he told me that he said, "I need to put you on that ECW." So basically, I think I was just put over there to try to, you know, see if I could help that, you know, help ECW. And and real quick, you were doing a angle with uh with crystal marshall and this is a question that comes up all the time i think you've addressed it before but like i said before for the new listeners out there um what happened with that storyline what was going to be the outcome of that because it was uh it was kind of dropped wasn't it well i think uh if, if i can remember this right i think what was supposed to come out i think after the heart attack thing where i had the heart attack i think vicky and crystal were supposedly to take over and start running smackdown and for some certain period of time, and then finally I come come back because we did do that finally with Vicky and uh, Dolph Ziggler. But uh, then I think with Crystal, you know, she she was a little bit hard headed. You know what I mean? She was dating Bobby Lashley, and at the time she would go over to the Raw show. You know what I mean? And people would watch her and see her leaving with Bobby Lashley, and you know, and not protecting the storyline you know she's on smackdown getting ready to marry me you know even though it's not real whatever but still you be protective of you know your storyline i wouldn't you know if, if something i'm supposed to be doing is real like when i had the heart attack i went home i didn't even come out for a while you know what i mean because i mean i just want to protect what i did i, I know Vince appreciates that so she just didn't protect the storyline and i think that's how it got dropped Speaking of Crystal and not protecting the angle by being seen in public with Bobby Lashley, uh, do you feel, Teddy, that kayfabe has a place in professional wrestling in 2017? Well, I, I don't know. You know, that's a hard question because wrestling has certainly changed from, you know, my days of breaking in because at that, the days that I broke in, you know, it was kayfabe because that's how, you know, prom- you, know you made money. You know what I mean? You kept you know, let people, you know, not know that you really hate this guy or, you know, however it goes. But uh, I think since Vince has changed it into entertainment now, it's world wrestling entertainment, and people understand that, you know, they're watching entertainment, and I think they accept that, you know what I mean? But I still, with me, I'm just old school, man. I just believe in, uh, you know, if I'm involved in something and I know it's out there and I know it's something that, you know, is serious, you know, I protect it, so... I think people should realize that too. I think they, if if you're in something major, and you and, and and you know what I mean, something that they've seen on TV and they believe this actually happened to you, I think you should protect that. You you owe that much to the company. And why do you feel you were released by WWE? Well, I think uh, you know I probably just probably had been there for you know a long time. You know I was there general manager for like ten years, nine, ten years, and so with the whole 
deal with the company, I think maybe 15 years. So, you know, I think it was just, you know, everything don't last. Summer changes the winter. You know what I mean? So I think it was just time that they wanted some, you know, new a new face and some new blood on the TV. Didn't bother me. I had a great career there. You know, I mean, I had the opportunity of a lifetime. And and I'm going to be honest with you, you know, with with the fans too. You know, I was glad to come home because I had been on the road over 20-some years of my life. And, Frank, uh, you guys, man, I was so stressed out. I mean, I was burnt completely out. I had let myself, I had put weight on, you know, I let myself get weight back on, you know, because just driving every night to the next town and waking up at 5 in the morning or going to bed at 5 in the morning, waking up back at 10, but doing that for 20 years, that's a lot of stress on the body. So I think it was in God's plan for me to come home because I came home and it got me some rest and got my health back right, got back in the gym. Like I was in the gym on the road too, but I mean, I was just defeating the purpose. I mean, you go in the gym to work out to relieve the stress, then you go and drink six beers every night and eat a bunch of damn hamburgers, so you're just defeating the purpose. But I think the gym was really, and I do a lot of cardio, I think that was really probably kept me going, you know, from trying to keep my blood pressure down a little bit. But my blood pressure was up and everything, so I came home, got all that under control, man. My weight's back down to 150 pounds. I feel absolutely fantastic, man, and I'm getting a chance to enjoy my grandkids and stuff. So, you know, it was in God's plan for me to come home, and I'm just glad it worked out like that. But I also think it's in God's plan for me to, uh, you know, go back and do something in the WWE one day. You know, who knows? That may happen soon or it may not never happen, but if I'm around, I'll be ready to take on that task. Teddy, I wanted to ask you, um, who impresses you, Teddy Long, in 2017 as far as people on TV, whether they're workers, managers, commentators, or whatnot? Who impresses Teddy Long today? Well, you know, I, um, <laughs> golly, I, I tell you, I like uh, Kevin Owens. You know what I mean? He 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 really impresses me. He's a great talker, and uh, you know, he 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 really get, gets involved, you know, in 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 his in his storyline. I like Kevin Owens, and uh, I like the stuff that he, you know, was doing with Jericho. Um, I know, you know, it's just a lot of new guys that are around now, you know, that I hope, you know, that can make it. And, not, in fact, I, you know, I know they will make it if they work hard. But, you know, I just not a whole lot of guys that really impress. I like James Ellsworth. <laughs> I, think he is, I think he is so entertaining. I, I really enjoy watching him. AJ Styles, he's another guy that uh, – I think is a phenomenal worker, you know, oh, Seth yeah. Rollins, you know, those guys. And I, don't, and I don't mean they have to impress me, but I watch what they do, and I had a chance to work with Seth before I left there, and, you know, and I think they got great attitudes and they're nice guys. Very good. And then, you know, Teddy, you know, you have been on GRP for a while, and every time I would turn around, see was, you know, the intro would be, you know, future WWE Hall of Famer, and then, my goodness, man, you finally got the call. Right. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I appreciate that, man. You know, like I said, you know, everything's in God's plan, so this was part of his plan. So uh, I thank the WWE and especially thank the WWE Universe and all the people that are maybe listening to this right now. You know, I really thank you for all your support and the way you hung in there for me. And like I said once before, you know, I, I when I went back to the WWE uh, back in July and I did the thing uh, with Stephanie, and uh, I found out that night that I was trending number one worldwide. So that kind of gave me a boost, too, and that let me know, hey, they're not through with you, Teddy Long. They want to see some more of you. So if I'm in a position where the people can see me, then I'm going to get out there where they can see me, man. And once again, I thank the WWE, and I thank all of you guys, especially Frank and Steve and 
And Abby, this is my first time getting a chance to work with you, but thank you so much, man, because if it hadn't been for you guys getting my name and keeping me out there, I don't think none of this would have happened. But let's thank Vince, too, man. He, uh, he, he He's great. That's all I can say. Now, Teddy, do you know um, or have any say in who's actually going to induct you into the Hall of Fame the day of the ceremony? Uh, no, I don't have any say on that. I think they make that choice too, so we'll have to see. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to see who that's going to be. Is there anyone that you're hoping that they call to induct you? Well, I hope they call Vince. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, well, let me let me ask you this question, Teddy, because you know, uh, of course, haters gonna hate. So I'm reading on the internet, and, and there's a lot of people that you know. I will say, majority of the fans today, they you know, they are happy for you going into the WWE Hall of Fame, but then you got some haters out there, people that are like, well, how the hell can they induct Teddy Long into the Hall of Fame before they induct the British Bulldog, before they induct Demolition? What do you say to people that say that? Well, I say that they're just stupid. You know what I mean? Because they're worried about what Vince and his company can do. Whatever Vince and his company does, it's none of your business. You don't own the company, and you don't run the company. So whatever Vince McMahon's decision in, then that's his decision. So whether I go in before somebody else or whether somebody go in before me, it doesn't make me any difference what what number I am in line. I know I'm going to cross it. So that's it's just that simple. And I got one more question for you, Teddy, before we let you go here. And it's one from uh, my, my partner up there. Ephraim Guzman with the Atomic Podcast he always asks his guest what would the Teddy Long of today tell the Teddy Long of yesterday <laughs> the same thing I told the Teddy Long of today is the same Teddy Long of yesterday I ain't changed not one bit I'm the same guy so the only thing I'm going to tell Teddy Long of this year is to improve you know get his game up uh, any final words I mean you got you got a Big deal coming up, man. I'm very proud of you. You know this. You and I talk on a, on a daily basis. We always communicate. I'm very proud of you for the fact that you've been able to accomplish this. Any final words out there for the fans of Teddy Long as you go into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2017? Well, like I said, man, I just want to thank everybody for their support. All of the people that support Teddy Long and all of the... Uh, the, the uh, uh, messenger messages that I've been getting and all the people that have been calling, talking, sending me uh, messages on Facebook and congratulating me and thanking me. I really do want you guys to know that I really appreciate this and thank you so very much. And I, and, and once again, you know, thank, thank Vince and the McMahon family and the WWE universe. And like I said, man, thank God this was all in God's plan. And I believe that uh, <laughs> I might have one more run in me. I said that to somebody, and I won't tell you I said it to, but, you know, you never know that might happen. And all I got to say is we're all the way up, and nothing can stop us. And if you have that one more run, are you ready for that, Teddy? Are you ready to get back out there on the road and do that? Play up. Ready, Teddy. <laughs> ready, ready, Teddy. I love it. I love it. Well, Teddy, once again, man, congratulations on everything getting in the Hall of Fame. And do me a favor. When you're there at WrestleMania weekend, just enjoy it, my friend. Just enjoy it and take it all in. You deserve it, man. Hey, man, thank you very much. Thank you once again, too. And Steve, man, you know I love you, man. Thank you so much. And that is going to do it here for Real Talk with Teddy Long. This has been your host, Frank D. Abby Green, for Teddy Long, for all of us here at Gurry.net and the Atomic Podcast. We'll check y'all later.